Good morning, evening. Welcome to the Fuds on Film podcast. My name is Scott Morris. I'm joined today by Drew Davendale. Greetings. So it's today. It's new balls all round as we serve a volume of opinions into the back of your net as we touch down this increasingly confused sentence, telling you that we're covering two tennis films to mark the occasion of the World Cup. <laughs> no, wait, Wimbledon. I'm not really a sports guy, sorry. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the timing is mine for this one, because I am a sports guy. Uh, tennis is one of my favourite sports, and there haven't been a great many tennis films ever. There's the loosely connected thing like Match Point. Hmm. The completely connected but partly entirely terrible film like Wimbledon, hmm. with uh, Paul Bettany and your vampire girl from Spider-Man. Kirsten Dunst, that's her. Uh, Your vampire girl from Spider-Man. <laughs> strange mythology you have. <laughs> what a bizarre headcanon for old Marvel properties. Indeed. Um, but quite entertaining that way. Yes. And yeah, there haven't been a great many tennis films at all. And then two come along in one year, which is quite strange. And Anyway, all of which is an incredibly long-winded way of saying I thought it would be quite interesting if we talked about the two tennis films that came out last year in time for Wimbledon, which started um, a few days ago as we record. Because, you know, occasionally we could be topical. Like an ointment. So, <laughs> I suppose we may as well just start off by talking about Borg McEnroe. Yes, um... Running for your life from Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> He's brandishing a knife at Shia LaBeouf. Lurking in the shadows... Hollywood superstar Shia LaBeouf, living in the woods, Shia LaBeouf, killing for sport, Shia LaBeouf, eating all the bodies, actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. And what does that have to do with anything? Well, more or less sod all, obviously, save that the video that it's from amuses me greatly. Relevance is that it's about the only thing I can remember in several years, possibly going back as far as Wall Street Money Never Sleeps associated with Shia LaBeouf that was positive and good, and in direct opposition to the seemingly constant tales of his plagiarism, plagiarised apologies for said plagiarism, and, you know, generally being a complete arsedness of the once very popular actor. Fortunately, though, we are presented in Borg vs. McEnroe with an opportunity to reconsider and revisit LaBeouf the actor. Pity, though, because, you know, LaBeouf the actual cannibal would have been far more entertaining, but you can't have everything. At the end of the 1970s, the indisputable king of tennis was Sweden's Björn Borg, played here by Sverdjör Gudnason, who, when we meet him, is aiming to win an unprecedented fifth Wimbledon championship in a row. The greatest stumbling block between him and this sporting milestone is the brash, but brilliant, young US player John McEnroe, LaBeouf, who has been making a name for himself as much for his on-court demeanour as his on-court prowess. Borg is seen as the machine. Cool calm, calculating, in stark contrast to Macro's much more volatile personality. But it is a manufactured and cultivated exterior which hides within a history of self-doubt, impetuousness, passion and rage considerably more similar to Macro than anyone could possibly guess. Borg is the favourite, both in terms of expectation and in how he is viewed by the crowd. His great rival Macro is much more prickly, and his regular tantrums have not endeared him to the generally polite and conservative tennis-watching public. Janos Metz Pedersen's film, from a screenplay by Ronnie Sandal, tries to get to the heart of this famous rivalry between two of the sport's greatest proponents, 
and shows that they are nowhere near as disparate in personality as it seems on the surface. To that end, the structure will be entirely familiar to anyone who has seen sporting rivalry films before, but the reality in which this film is based allows for a refreshing twist in a well-worn format. To wit, while they have crossed each other's paths before, the rivalry for each man, the difficulty to be overcome, exists entirely within themselves. So, while the expected flashbacks to the formative years of each player give some insight into their personalities and history, there is no moment of insult or great defeat. Nobody spoke ill of nobody's mama, and you know nobody served a 110 mile per ace directly at anyone's head. Instead, each man, and Borg in particular, has built up their opponent as the bogeyman entirely in their own mind. With, of course, the ever-helpful hand of the press. The film climaxes with the Wimbledon final, with Borg aiming for his fifth championship and McEnroe his first. Sadly, that's perhaps the least successful portion of the film, as it fails to capture the incredible tension that tennis fans like myself know can accompany tie breaks and match points. So in the end, it's perhaps not the most remarkable film, albeit still a solidly entertaining one, but it is raised above many of its peers by strong performances by Goodnison and Stellan Skarsgård, and while it's certainly not LeBeouf's best turn, has a pleasant reminder that he can act pretty well when he's not being an absolute tit. <laughs> Add these things to the far from common approach to rivalry, and it's one worth checking out, particularly if, like me, you are lacking a good tennis film. Or perhaps any tennis film at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I quite enjoyed Borg Back and Rope. Um, I wasn't expecting pretty much anything of it, and. I don't really know all that much about it, other than the headline figures of Borg's reputation for roboticness and uh, McEnroe's you know, volcanic temper, which is obviously he's been trading on for decades by this point. <laughs> and yeah, I quite enjoyed a lot of it. Um, a lot of it put me in mind of Rush. Yeah, yeah, I can see that because there's, it's not the kind of rivalry you'd get in say a boxing film. It's there is a a respect between the peers there. They are peers, aren't they? It's, it does. I can see why that would remind you of Rush. Yeah, and it's somewhat similar in a lot of the tennises. You say all all these battles are internal. Um, very little of it is actually directed at each other. And I found it quite quite effective, certainly in terms of getting a bit of insight into Borg's character. McEnroe seems to be there mainly as a counterpoint as just a, a juxtaposition more than anything else. It, it doesn't go particularly deep into what brought him to where he is, but I don't think it really needed to. There wasn't all that much from what I can I can gather. It's just he's 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 very good at tennis and has a bit of a short temper. I think McEnroe is less of a mystery to people yeah. because he puts so much of of himself out there yeah. that I don't think people really were in any mystery unless perhaps it was like, you know, was this guy really not loved as a kid? And like you know, maybe his parents were the most attentive, but there was never, in this film anyway, that sort of suggestion. Yeah. Whereas Borg is, is a mystery. It's just, yeah, there's this Iceman persona. Yeah. You know, a term that's applied to anybody vaguely Nordic because <laughs> nobody in the press, excuse me, nobody in the press <laughs> has any imagination at all. No. Um, <laughs> in his case, it's actually aptly applied because he's just so taciturn and, and I love him for it because he's amazing, but... Kimmy Reichen's yeah. called the Iceman, but pretty much every Finnish driver has been called the Iceman <laughs> at some point, and it's, it kind of seems the same sort of thing with Borg here, but at least, yeah, that's what you understand. It's not showing a lot of emotion, so yeah. when they explore him, it's, yeah, certainly, while it's called Borg versus Markenroe, 
the film could quite easily be called Borg versus Bork. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because that's the focus. And as you say, Maku is a, is a counterpoint more than a a main character, I guess. It, it's no worse off for it. I was uh, mostly uh, kept quite captivated by uh, Goodnerson's performance is pretty good. Very happy with all that. He's, he's, he, does, he does a lot of uh, smouldering uh, quite well. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård is good, but he's got a bit of a thankless role for a lot of it because he does wind up having to say, having having to basically just explain character motivations at points. You know, he, he's lumbered with a lot of pretty clunky dialogue to just make things clear. Uh, he's a bit basil exposition in places, which is a little bit unfortunate, but he does quite well with it for, for all that. Yeah, um, I think he rises above that. Uh, yeah. I, but I, yeah, that's not an unfair thing to say about it, although I didn't feel it particularly... It wasn't too forced. Um, it, it made sense when it was happening. It, it just seemed like you could. It maybe didn't need to be quite so explicit about saying it in in those terms. You know what I mean? As opposed to, for example, the commentators towards the end of the film in the final at Wimbledon, you know, basically explaining why things meant things like, yeah, yes, that was a laboured and b not actually particularly well done. <laughs> yes, um, and I again I'm left wondering too in films like this. Like, I know tennis, right? So I know what that this is badly explained. Do other people know that? And can it, like, is that damaging other people's enjoyment of the film because they're not actually getting told what they really need to know in this situation? Yeah. So there are a couple of bits where things are a bit clunky. But fortunately, I feel that the character study of Borg more than makes up for that, or mostly yeah. makes up for it at least. Yes, yes, it does. Um, I. I think this is well worth watching. I was quite intrigued by a lot of it. Um, I, I don't really have anything negative to say about it, more than some slight, as I say, some slight concerns about the clunkiness of some exposition. That's that's really about it. And everything else is really well handled. It looks pretty most of the time. I think this is quite well shot. Yeah, I, I, I can't really think of anything negative about it. I mean, I was not absolutely blown away by it. It's not my favourite film or anything like that, but I, I don't think I've really got much in the way of negatives to say about it, and there's an awful lot of positives in there. Um, but yeah, if you've even the slightest interest in any sort of character piece, let alone whether it's sporting-related or tennis-related or anything else like that, uh, Borg McEnroe is uh, very well worth watching. Yeah, I would say it does look quite nice. It's, cause mm-hmm. it's going for an aesthetic, trying to make it look like a 1970s film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't quite pull it off just because I mean, it would have been shot digitally, but even if it hadn't been that modern film stock would have been cleaner. Or you'd never get quite the same look, but with the colour palette and things, it has it sort of evokes that era quite well. Mm-hmm. And it does a, a reasonable job of masking the fact that this was filmed on modern centre court at Wimbledon yeah. um, when, yeah. and they largely hide the bits that are clearly too shiny and modern to be from the 1970s. Yeah. <laughs> um, although, sadly, part of how they did that was incredibly distracting lines on the grass, which aren't there now, and I don't remember having ever seen it at Wimbledon before, but there's like really heavy brown roller lines on the court, which I know that nobody else in the world is going to care, but that was it was kind of annoying because they were so obvious. Like, okay, grass technology hasn't come on that much. I would imagine that the grass has been looked over at Wimbledon, looked after at Wimbledon for largely the same way for about a hundred years. And like, why does this look so different? And I've seen footage from the nineteen seventies, and I don't remember it looking quite like that. But I, I suspect that's actually a side effect of them massively increasing the warmth of the color temperature, and it's mm. brought out all the browns in the grass and made them look really weird. 
but yeah, that, that's a really nerdy thing to pick up on. Which like the grass looks wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, it's uh, and surprisingly little of the film takes place on a tennis court. Yes, uh, so it doesn't actually come up all that often. It's um, it's quite pleasant to look at. I would agree. And all of that, that talking about grass, just to say, yes, Scott, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's good, apart from the grass. <laughs> okay, Scotman, let's go from what was a genuine rivalry to something that manufactured kind of undersells it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Battle of the Sexies and the incredibly talented person versus the ridiculous misogynist showman. <laughs> Yes, so the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there, like blatant sexism. Uh, but thankfully, here in Space Year 2018, all such issues of equality have been definitively settled, and yes. we can all enjoy our utopian lives in this <laughs> certainly not blasted hellscape of moral torpor at all, oh no. Although a, a distant memory for us in what's now a permanent golden age, I mean, leaning too heavily on this trick, I think I might be. Um, <laughs> inequality was very much a thing back in 1973, where women's number one tennis player, Billie Jean King, played here by Emma Stone, protests over the vast gulf in prize money between the men's and women's tour by breaking away from the establishment to form a new women's tour with several other athletes. Uh, the establishment, represented here mainly by Bill Pullman's overtly dismissive Jack Kramer, doesn't take this lying down throwing them out of the Lawn Tennis Association, thereby knocking them out of contention for the Davis Cup and other tournaments, which is presented as an act of spite here rather than what I would have thought would be an entirely obvious consequence of their decision, which I suppose makes King an oblivious Brexiteer really against the EU. <laughs> also, slightly concerned by the unequal play between seniors... <laughs> you weren't expecting that? I, I was completely blindsided by the Brexit metaphor. It's concerning a lot of my brain cycles lately, is it's a big thing. Brexit uh, means match point. Yes. Yes. Also slightly concerned by the unequal pay between the seniors and men's tour prize pot is former number one Bobby Riggs, played here by Steve Carell, although really he's more focused on a great opportunity for a spot of hustling. Latching on to King's demands for equality, he goes full throttle comedy chauvinist pig, declaring men the superior sex and issuing challenges to King to meet him on the court of battle to settle this question in front of a large paying audience, of course. Now, I recall the trailer for Battle of the Sexies presenting this more as a sort of routes-about comedy than anything, with Riggs's sideshow circus antics being prominently featured, and I suppose it does for the play a prominent part of the final act, but this film is much more about Billie Jean King's assorted internal battles than it is about any poxy game of tennis. A closeted King's relationship with her hairdresser lover, her perceived need to keep this secret given the attitudes of the time and how this impacts her husband, takes up a good portion of the running time, along with how that affects her mental preparations going into the match with Riggs that she's taking much more seriously than he does, seemingly. As for Riggs, whether it's overconfidence or that he's simply more focused on pooling sponsorship, ticket sales and cash in general, it's only at the end that he seems to realise what this match means and that perhaps he's been playing with fire of a higher temperature than he intended. It's perhaps a missed opportunity here. Riggs's habitual gambling and hustling is mentioned, but almost as off-handedly as the pro-wrestling-style sexist promos that he's giving to promote the match. This film presents Riggs's shtick as harmless banter with a wink to the camera, and he's not that bad a guy at all, which may well be the case for all I know, but is still <laughs> prodding a hot-button issues for commercial gain, which isn't exactly the most defensible position. This is mainly glossed over in the presentation here, and, well, I suppose it didn't make much of an impact, as I still rather enjoyed this film. But, as I say, perhaps an opportunity missed to get a little more into Riggs's mindset. However, 
much like the earlier film. This is much more focused on Billy Jean King rather than their, their opponent. And to be fair, King has the more interesting, wider story anyway, and so it's probably not a critical flaw. It does a somewhat better job of characterising King, but it's still not the most in-depth look at her character. Uh, thankfully, Emma Stone makes the most of what she's given mm-hmm. and makes her hugely empathetic and courageous presence on screen. Similarly, Carell shows enough charisma to get away with the shtick being more cheeky than arse cheek. It, it's no in-depth character piece for sure, and when you compare it against Borg back in row, it feels somewhat slight, but... Uh, I do get the impression that this film had moved the dial just a little bit from entertaining to analytical. This could have been quite a special film, rather than just a really fun film that I'm sure I'll not remember all that much from this time next year. Of course, that very enjoyability dial setting does mean that it's quite easy to recommend that you all watch it. It's quite a lot of fun. It's not particularly deep or meaningful, but I think it does give quite a good insight into uh, King's various struggles in the, the society at the time without ever really going into it too deep. It's, all, it's a little bit surface treatment only but it's a really nice looking surface so yeah it's well worth watching yeah i enjoyed this a lot now my memory is that i actually enjoyed it more than Borg macchino but i saw this about six months ago i didn't have time to watch it again before this podcast so right. i'm i'm working off of my it's certainly a film that's, that's built more to be enjoyed than Borg macchino Borg macchino is, is a little bit arm's length or a lot of things it's <laughs> a little bit cold and yeah. certainly in comparison to this which is is a bit goofier and a bit more comedic in its, in its output. While working off of six-month-old memory, my memory generally is pretty good. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I'm not so worried about that. I What I remember thinking at the time was, that yes, Emma Stone is great as Billie Jean King, and she paints mm-hmm. her as a really thoughtful, interesting character with a lot of depth. I would have liked a, a bit more of that depth in the writing, mm-hmm. but she does well with what she's given. And... Having seen a few interviews with Billie Jean King, in particular where she talks that she, about still feeling guilt about cheating on her husband, and that, and I kind of from the interviews I've seen with Billie Jean King where she talks about, I believe her actually, and I do have some sympathy because I can't really imagine what that must feel like to be. I don't know if trapped is the right word. I'm not really sure what the, the correct language would be because I really mm. for this I have no frame of reference at all. But to be gay and be married to a man but and the silly the film suggests that she's never really been aware that she was gay yeah uh, so it's interesting those are f- those kind of awakening feelings and experience but while a character that cheats on someone would normally make me instantly hate them mm. i think there is enough nuance there there's enough interest and there's enough like genuine guilt and genuine empathy for the character that i didn't feel that and because I've seen Billie Jean King talk about that, I think that's something that's in the writing and in the performance. Mm-hmm. And that makes that really rather an interesting thing to look at rather than just someone who's like, okay, you've done a horrible thing to someone who loved you. I hate you. Which is typically how I feel about those things and always have. But it's, um, yeah, it almost feels like a film of two parts or sometimes though, because you have Billie Jean King so sort of coming to understand herself better and at the same time develop into this incredibly strong figure in the world of women's tennis mm-hmm. and trying to promote that and get better deals for the players and things and then at the same time you have this absolute jackass played by uh, <laughs> Steve Carell who's just in it because he's a gambling addict and wants to make a quick buck Yeah, and so the two seem disjointed and I kind of one thing I thought the film was missing was it never really addressed the fact that 
you know, obviously there should be no doubt at all about Billie Jean King beating this guy. I know they showed that Margaret Court lost him. I'm guessing they were suggesting that was nerves. But, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know enough about Margaret Court to know whether that character was treated fairly or not, but she's treated as an absolute harridan in it. Yeah. Who you want to lose because she's really, really homophobic and deeply unpleasant towards Billie Jean King. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I know about that person or whether that's actually accurate or not. She feels really, really shallow as a character. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the show that she loses, and I'm guessing she did in real life, and people would probably notice if they completely changed that or something. <laughs> you know, you can invent what's happening behind the scenes that people don't know about. The actual results of matches, not so much. Yeah. But what they never really addressed, though, is that there should have never have been any doubt about Billie Jean King, a phenomenal tennis player, at the peak of her physical prowess, beating a 50-year-old man. Yeah. Well, there's no, not going to be any doubt. Of course she's going to win. Had it been a man of her same age, chances are she wouldn't win. You know, because mm. while there's a lot of emphasis in tennis on technique, there is still a big physical difference. Men are bigger, men are faster, men are stronger. That, that's simply biology. That's why men and women don't play against each other from in mixed doubles, because it wouldn't be a fair match. You know, Serena Williams, phenomenal tennis player, and you know, maybe in any on one given match she might win. Over a course of a season, she's going to lose to men because she, well, they're just you can't compete. So, had it been a fair fight in terms of that, like a fair match, well, Billie Jean King was always going to lose. But at the same time, uh, I had a point somewhere five minutes ago. <laughs> I'm not sure what I was wanting to say now. Yeah, I think more just saying that the film didn't really sell particularly well. You know, that ought not to have been any sort of contest at all. Um, yeah. A professional player in her 20s is going to destroy any 50-year-old man, regardless of who they are. You know, because it's, it's like, there's just no physical way that's going to happen if she's like that good a player. And he's an old man, even if he had been good. I don't think Bobby Briggs was ever, you know, on board good or anything like that. No, he was world number one, though, wasn't he? Or was it like American number one? I don't know. I don't actually know enough about that character, and I meant to check and I forgot, so it's very remiss of me, so maybe I'm talking out of my bum here. I don't know. Maybe It's just, it's not a name I was ever really familiar with, but I know lots of other players from that year. So I was kind of basing that on, like, if I've not heard of me, can't have been good. <laughs> Maybe it's, yeah, I'm just displaying a terrible ignorance and it's a yeah. hole in my knowledge. I must check that out. Yeah, uh, so he, he was number one for three years, but... Oh, okay. So, yes, he's pretty good then. So, okay. It, it, it was a strange time because it was first in 1939, then as a professional in 46 and 47, and there was a lot of... Oh, that's it, it was, it was a busy old world at the time then. That, that's, uh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. That's a bit different, like, when, was it the 1970s opening of it began? It was a bit before that, but yeah, tennis was a bit weird for a while. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Now it's like, it's a sport in the way you'd understand the sport now, and it, for a long time it, it wasn't. Tennis was a strange beastie for for until incredibly surprisingly recently, actually. Yeah. Think about it. But we, then, well, clearly he had talent, but at the same point, you know, 22, 23-year-old Billie Jean King, world number one isn't going to be troubled by a 50-year-old man with a bit of extra weight on, you know? Um, yeah. So the whole... Th- I think really the point I was trying to make, and failing about eight times by now, was the film didn't really sell how ridiculous an idea the contest ought to have been. I mean, if it had done that, and then still showed that people were, like, doubting her and stuff, and that they go with the whole circus, that might be more interesting. It kind of gone further down the road of, like, you know, 
well, yeah, it's just it's denigrating women and it's like not giving them the what uh, their due and things. Like, oh, they're always lesser in every way. Um, mm. So I, I felt that the film's missing that a bit. It's just like this isn't a contest. You know, it's yeah. like an adult playing a child almost. It's like, like there should be no question there at all. At the same time, I suppose needed to try to create some drama for the end of the things. Like, is she going to win or not? For those who didn't know what happened, perhaps. Yeah. But again, like Bork McEnroe, the tennis is perhaps the least interesting part of it. Yes. <laughs> the yes. characters are more interesting. Steve Carell's character almost seems like he's from a different film, though, because he seems to have so little to actually do with tennis. <laughs> um, it's more just that he's this guy who's obsessed with gambling and, and but then manages to screw up his life with Elizabeth Shue. Remember her? Yeah. <laughs> um, what's she done since leaving Las Vegas? Not a lot, I think. Then, at the same time, the Billie Jean King fighting for women's rights and finding out that she's gay in a time when it was not impossible to do that, but certainly more difficult than now. And then trying to just make, to lift the women's game and make it seem more respectable is not quite the word, but certainly raise its profile. Yeah. To try and bring it closer to the men's game. And again, that's the struggle that isn't finished. Yeah. It's something Martina and I have rattled over, particularly has been trying to do for years, whereas things aren't quite equal. It makes sense. There's a very definite distinction between King's very serious concerns, which are handled very seriously, and Riggs's cavalcade of bullshit, which is sort of nodded and winked away, but you, I don't know, you kind of get the impression that it's certainly presented as the media or so was taking it as it would be a foregone conclusion that Riggs would win. And, like you say, maybe it should focus a bit more on that and how it would change and how attitudes could change over time. But that's it's given pretty short shrift um, and that is not really a main focus of the film and even the whole actual battle of the match at the end is almost an afterthought. But I don't know, the, the, to me the more interesting thing is the, the, is the stuff that it does actually wind up focusing on, which is King's relationships and uh, King's mm-hmm. character. So I suppose I'll let it away with that. But it, it's maybe maybe actually taking on analysis of society at the time is beyond the scope of what you can do, what you can hang off a tennis match. So I suppose it's just doing as much as it can uh, with the, the material that's been given. But uh, it, it's certainly doing a pretty good job of uh, getting King's uh, story out. Yes. Again, I feel this is, these films do have something in common with the sports films we covered in our actual sports film episode, and that a lot of the most interesting parts, they're not all that much about sports. Yes. <laughs> At least, again, I suppose it's, it's the universality of human nature, isn't it? It's the, what's yep. interesting is the people and the fact that they're involved in the sport kind of irrelevant. This is The sport is what puts the pressure on the people, but it's the people and how they deal with that pressure or that situation is interesting. Yeah. But certainly I would recommend both of these films, both worth checking out. Um, yes, absolutely. Heartly enjoyed them both. If you want something a bit more overtly comic to wash it down with, you might be able to get hold of the 45-minute uh, HBO special Seven Days in Hell, which is exceptionally puerile bit of comedy with uh, Andy Sandberg and Kit Harrington. Uh, but I found it very funny indeed. Uh, based really, 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 really loosely on that uh, seven-day Wimbledon match from, what was it, 2010? Oh, the one with the, Sam Querrey and John Isner. Oh, no, John Isner and... It was John uh, Isner, but um, yeah, it's, they couldn't end that match. You know, and surprisingly, yeah. when he won, John Isner went out in straight sets the next day. But like, I've got no energy <laughs> left. I've been playing for five days. <laughs> yeah. It uh, was 17 hours from the end of that match, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it's absolutely daft. <laughs> I enjoyed it. 
in terrible, terrible taste. But um, yeah, I'm always a big fan of Andy Samberg, and um, it's got a number of uh, very good cameos from the likes of Fred Armisen, who's also in Battle of the Sexes with perhaps the the most pointless cameo role I've seen. Fred Armisen being in, like, I don't know why. Why would you get a semi-respected comedian in to do a role of someone who gives a guy pills? And seemingly that's it. That what a, that was strange. Yeah, I'll check that out. Um, I wasn't aware of that before. But I like Andy Samberg a lot, also. It's a slight thing, but it's worth uh, it's worth watching just for the uh, few scenes which uh, that has Michael Sheen, a British uh, sportscaster who's incredibly creepy. Yes. So that will take us to the end of this podcast. Thank you very much for your attention. I've been Scott Morris, and Drew Tavendale has been Drew Tavendale. I have. I was like to say, you know. Like, share, subscribe, the same thing for the last all the time. You know, also smash that like button. Do a little dance, make up for love, get down tonight. Now really I, I have no place to tell you what to do, but don't seem like fun suggestions, so <laughs> just a thought, you know? Fairly well. Ta-da.